Welcome to the Potter and Maguire podcast, brought to you by Psychogear, Beast Fuel Energy Drink, finished in MA and Dream Elite Pro Store. Welcome, 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 welcome to the podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, the co-host of the evening, the legend himself, Mr. Don McGuire. Don, what's going on, bro? Is Don even there? Technical difficulties already. We're off to a great start, guys. <laughs> of course, we're when Don does get on the line. Don? Yes, sir, I'm here. I was on mute. Sorry about that. Uh, you know, the thing I look forward about this show is, first and foremost, doing it with you and giving the listeners a chance to, you know, just kind of hear the people themselves other than what they see portrayed on TV or what what they hear from Wikipedia and Tapology shows. And and this this show is really special to me, Dave. You know, looking at Colby Covington, you know, it's I was put between two fences with my brother Max Griffin and my brother Colby Covington. And I didn't pick a winner in this fight because I don't choose over family. And you know, it was. I just touted it as, as one of the most tremendous anticipated fights of UFC 202 for me. And, you know, the outcome, yeah, it, it hurt, but then it also was glamorous because ultimately one of my brothers won. But how do you, as a family member to these fighters, learn to and focus this and, and, and roll with it like the normal fan, Dave? It, it was... It was remarkable actually seeing him actually fight because it was on UFC Fight Pass and I was watching the prelims and to watch him pull off the win, especially because we talked to him. So we actually have communicated with him and we knew what his goals were. We knew about his mistakes in the past and what he wants to do moving forward. So it was, it was good to talk to him and to watch him on television and put two and two together of him accomplishing his goals. It, it really, it, it was really touching. It was, it was really when, when you talk to fighters, and I, I know the folks listening at home, you know, few and far between some of the fighters you communicate with, when they step into the cage and you really admire them and you really like what they, what they bring to the table and you're, you're a believer in their character and their work ethic and all the above, and you watch them go into the cage and, you know, it's nerve-wracking for a little bit. And I was actually nerve-wracked when he was in the cage. And then he pulled off that TKO victory in the third round. I said, there you go. Just like he talked about, just like when he talked about with us, to see him accomplish what he wanted and him now going forward and c- continuing a very prosperous UFC career. It was, it's really cool. It's really cool to see. You, you, you know, it's being that I've been in this business for a long time, Dave, you, you look at – you know, this is, as your kids, you know, I'm 50 years old, so this is like my fifth generation of fighters. And I continually bringing amateurs and everybody into my life because I never forget where I came from. But then I take this, this Colby Covington and Max Griffin scenario. Love both these guys to death. Respect both these guys to death. But I'll be honest with you, I was watching the fight like a mother peeking between my fingers. And... It, it kind of left me bewildered as, as, you know, the man I am in this sport. But another thing I kind of want to touch on that really amazed me was the Anthony Rumble Johnson versus Glover Teixeira fight. 
Brother, that was amazing. What were your thoughts? The, the knockout, though. The knockout. Anthony Rumble Johnson, and my friend Inez has met Anthony Rumble Johnson, and just like how he portrays on television that class act, he's just like that in real life. He's a class act, but he's also one hell of a competitor. He's a monster. And early in his career, he was not at the right weight whatsoever. He, he was not meant to cut weight because it was taking energy out of his gas can. And, you know, he really couldn't have, he really couldn't have the, the setting to showcase his skill. But now that he's at light heavyweight, you saw, what, you saw a glimpse of what's things to come. He's here to stay in the light heavyweight division. And Glover is no pushover. Glover is one of the most, he's one of the most talented individuals in the light heavyweight division. And plus he trains with a UFC legend like uh, Chuck Liddell and he trains with uh, their former teammates. And, you know, Glover is a dangerous cat. He's a def- definitely a dangerous fighter. And to watch Rumble Johnson, which I thought was going to be a long, dragged out fight, to watch him n- land that one uppercut and down he goes and he faded within 13 seconds, Anthony deserves to be in the hunt. Now, I don't know if I want to see a, a eliminator because they're actually talking about John Jones versus Anthony Johnson because, of course, John Jones didn't take what everyone thought he took. So they were talking about Anthony Rumble Johnson fighting John Jones. But I would really love to see the Anthony Johnson now fight the Daniel Cormier, who's now solid as a light heavyweight champion. I want to see them fight again. I, I don't want to see Rumble Johnson versus John Jones this year. I want to see... DC fighting uh, Anthony Rumble Johnson again. The showcase of two remarkable talents, but Anthony John- Johnson, he, it's his time. It's definitely his time. And I, I find him to be more of a threat to Daniel Cormier now than he was back then. What do you think about the fight? Oh, most definitely. You know, there's a little little known secret in the sport at one time through Casey Eisman. I, I, had, a, I had the opportunity to, to be the manager and of Anthony Rumble Johnson when he wasn't such an eloquent fighter. And I couldn't afford, I'll be honest, I couldn't afford the $3,400 a month on top of the fighters that I already had. You know, so it was a situation that, you know, you, you hate to let go, but I had to let go. But to see him excel at this level, to see him become the warrior that he is today, uh, I'm very proud of Anthony Rumble Johnson, and I'm like you. I would rather see Rumble Johnson versus Daniel Cormier because I'm so tired, not of John Jones himself, but the, the shenanigans, everything attached to the whole situation. I, I just want to see new, fresh, deserving fighters up in the light heavyweight championship fight. And I think Anthony Rumble Johnson would be a great great fight against Daniel Cormier. I agree with you. I absolutely agree with you because, and you're, you're talking to a guy that legitimately likes John Jones. John Jones is my age. You know, I met John Jones. We've had a very good 30 to 40 minute conversation. I have a picture of him and I hanging in my living room. He's a great guy. I have no qualms with John Jones. He wrestled for New York. I talked about how he wrestled in New Jersey. I, I had a, an admiration and respect for John Jones right off the flip, but it's very hard for John Jones to grasp how, how, you know, he's on a very thin wire, a very thin rope. And, yes, I understand he, he's been in the spotlight since he was a very young kid. I understand that's very hard to do the right thing sometimes when you have everyone shaking their head and saying yes. I completely understand that. 
I've, I'm always going to be on John Jones' side with a lot of things, a great many things. And he's got to mature. Everyone's got to mature. Everyone can change and be a little bit better than they were yesterday. I'm, I'm a firm believer in that. But do I feel that John Jones should have knew, uh, known what he was taking? Absolutely. Should have some things that could have been prevented should have never happened? Absolutely. So I think just from that, John Jones will learn a greater life lesson if he doesn't fight Rumble Johnson in an eliminator. And it goes right from uh, Anthony Johnson and Daniel Cormier, and both of them fight, and John Jones has to play the waiting game. I want John Jones to be the man he's meant to be because he's an absolute legend. He's a legend in the sport, and already at, at the tender age of 29, he's already considered the best pound-for-pound fighter there ever was. And the only one to beat John Jones was John Jones. I want to see him get to the guy he's meant to be, and before that happens, I want to see Rumble Johnson fight Daniel Cormier so he knows what he's missing out on. That's what I want to see. And I don't know if you agree with me, Don, but I, that's, that's how I feel about it. Well, you, you said it so eloquently, my friend, you know, that uh, John Jones is his own worst enemy. You, you look at the life of John Jones, okay? You can say he was thrust in this. You could say he... he got thrown in the limelight, anything you want to say. I've been a John Jones backer since day one, you know, and when I lose interest in it, it's, it's, it's pretty, it's pretty, gotten to a pretty sad scenario. You know, John Jones has had many opportunities, you know, to make his name clean, to get back in the sport. You know, I will never disrespect the man, but the man disrespected himself. So, in that saying, you know, you can only be as good as you portray yourself. You know, now John Jones has had issues in his life. Do I do I look you know look at that reflection in the cage? Yeah, when it disappoints hundreds of thousands of fans across the country when they're looking forward to fight, and you know atrocities happen in his life. But you know, life goes forward. Daniel Cormier yeah. uh, brought him on my show. You were there. The man broke down why he fights for that 205 strap. This is a man that I've known for 15 years. This is a man that I didn't even know what was dropped on that show that night. But when that man stated what he stated, it changed my reflection of how I perceived him, how I looked at him. And I have such such admiration for Daniel Cormier that I believe that he deserves to get a true fight, a fighter that's going to show up, and a fight that the fighters, that the fans want to see. Absolutely. And the one fight that everybody wanted to see and everybody was talking about was uh, Nate Diaz fighting uh, Conor McGregor. And, Don, I, I know your opinion on it and everything like that. <laughs> and I've been <laughs> – trust me, man, I, I know. And I've been a Diaz fan. And with me, I'm, if I'm loyal to a friend, a relative, anybody, if I'm loyal to you, I'm loyal to you forever until further notice. And I'm always loyal to the, to the Diaz brothers. I've always been a fan of theirs. They, they're, they're great fighters. And I'm, I'm, I'm nothing, no Conor McGregor is ever going to make me jump from them that bandwagon. And just like before, when I bet on Nate Diaz and Nate Diaz pulled it out, I was betting wholeheartedly on, on uh, Nate Diaz this time to, to pull it out against Conor McGregor again. And at, when the fight was happening, I, I thought Nate Diaz won. I thought he won the fight. And then I watched it twice more. It pained me, pained me to admit that Nate Diaz lost that fight, three rounds to two. And you were rooting for Diaz. What, what did you think about the fight? Well, it wasn't necessarily that 
I was rooting for Diaz. It's it's more my my dismay and dislike of Conor McGregor. Um, you know, he's changing his angle, so I'll, I'll give credit where credit is due. My dealings with the Diaz brothers goes back many, many years. Uh, I think they're tremendous. Both of them, uh, do I necessarily like the shenanigans and their antics? No. Um, and Conor McGregor isn't much better. But let's just take all the stipulations out and just surely talk the fight. Now, you know, I went back and I watched that fight too, and I, I think it was—I think it was a great war. I personally, in my heart, believe that that Diaz won. I think he was aggressive more than McGregor was. Yeah, he was a bloody mess. But the thing of it is, is if you're going to run from an opponent, that—if I was judging that fight, that would—that would be something certain that played on my mind. You know. Do I think it was a close fight? Yeah, I think it was very close. But in my personal opinion, and I'll say this to the cows come home, uh, we will disagree to, to agree or however you want to look at it, but I think Conor McGregor lost the fight. You know, that's just my personal opinion. But you look at what makes sense for the UFC. On such a close decision, do you give it to Diaz or do you give it to McGregor? What what happens if you give it to, to Diaz, Okay. Connor goes away. You give the fight to, to McGregor, you get a trilogy. So looking at it in that aspect, it was the smartest. It was the smartest business decision. Right, and I, I think the the not the Nevada State Athletic Commission has something to gain when a company is profitable and a fight company is profitable. So I, I'm I'm playing conspiracy theorist. I'm sure I'm making Joe Rogan proud, but you know I I, I agree with you on that part. It would it make a lot of business sense. Is giving the fight to McGregor, and if if I could, I would love to blame something on someone or anything that Conor, Conor McGregor did not win that fight because I'm not the biggest Conor McGregor fan either. So I I think he's talented all to, all by himself. He doesn't need to talk at all, and he, that's not who he is. He's putting on a show to sell tickets. The Diaz brothers, that's who they are. And you had teachers on a documentary that have known the Diaz brothers since they were kids that said, yeah, that's exactly who they were even back then. That's who they are. And I know, Don, you're an old school cat, and you wouldn't appreciate the antics and everything, but that's exactly who they are. That's ingrained in their DNA. McGregor, you know, he's putting on an act. He's putting on a show. He's trying to sell tickets because if you look at past interviews, McGregor was this humble kid from, from Ireland that was living on the streets. So... In my personal opinion, if I could, if I could have found any reason whatsoever to give it, give it to Nate Diaz, I would have. But I was scoring the fight. And by the way, I'm an old school guy too in a certain sense that if it was under Pride rules, he, Nate Diaz wins all five rounds. And if you look at Pride and their scoring system, they bet literally. Excuse me about that. <laughs> they bet. They pretty much judge a fight. Uh, all five rounds on octagon control, dominance, uh, attempts to finish the fight, um, starting off strong and then finishing strong, like all these things. And they would have they saw uh, Conor McGregor backing up. And they would have said the same thing. Even though Conor McGregor wasn't running away, he was just tired. I feel that pride judges and any other judge would watch that fight and say, wow, he's running. He's running away. Let's give it to Nate Diaz. So I see your point on that. Um, but I'm looking. I was looking for every little reason in the book to give it 
to Nate Diaz, and I just couldn't find one. I, I put it three rounds to two for Conor McGregor. You know, and I don't know what what fight makes business sense right now, Don. Do, do they do the third third fight in the trilogy, or do they do Aldo and uh, Aldo and uh, McGregor? You know, I I kind of think they're going to jump back to the Aldo McGregor uh, for a minute, and then uh, Diaz will get the the winner of that fight. And I think that makes great business sense for the UFC. You know, I truly I truly do. You know, looking at it. Without a biased opinion, you know, it, it is what it is. You, you can't go back and change things. But the smart business sense, yeah, I, I, I agree with the statement that I made that uh, it'll be McGregor, although, and then it'll go back to, to Diaz taking on whoever wins that fight, you know. And I, I think UFC 202 was really good because, you know, like I kind of talked about a little bit in the, in the beginning of the show was a young gentleman by the name of Colby Covington. This kid, I tell you what, he he impresses the hell out of me. His his talent, his exuberance, but yet the humility this kid portrays is is profound. Yeah, and Kobe had a brilliant performance as we were talking about before. And the prelims, you never want to sleep on the prelims or the fights before the main card because sometimes, and more often than not, those fights are showstoppers. They're the best fights on the card. And Kobe Covington fought a three-round battle. And when you think someone, a fighter is going to coast and you think they're just going to go right to the decision, that's when, you know, Kobe Covington put on the burners and got that TKO finish and finished him in the third round when, you know, he could have coasted and it could have went to the judge's decision and who knows. But Kobe Covington put on the burners and he literally steamrolled the guy, got the TKO finish, and he continues his career. Now now we're talking big fights. I mean, I, I saw that he was talking he wanted to fight maybe Mike Perry or he wanted to fight like a top contender next. Like, I, I can't wait to talk to him and ask him. But what do you think is the next step for uh, Kobe Covington? Oh, baby. Oh, nothing but up. Uh, um, you know, I watched his last fight on UFC Fight Night. Uh, I think it was 89. Uh, something like that, and you know, as you know, David, you've you've interviewed Colby before with me. He, he he came on the show, and he spoke very eloquent. He he isn't one to talk crap. He isn't one to he just he amazed me as a young, talented fighter. You know, and not even ten minutes after his his win, he agreed to come on the show and. He does, you know, came on. He, he was such an eloquent young man. And then, like I stated, then he ends up fighting a brother of mine, Max Griffin. And it was kind of hard, but you know, we got to get beyond that fact and get to the fact what Colby did. And Colby proved to not just me, but to many, many people, that Colby Covington is is one one fighter that is on the rise and one fighter that truly deserves to get that next step up. I don't know yep. how you feel, you know, but I think he's very deserving. Yep, and uh, speak of the devil, let's talk to the man himself, winner at UFC 202, the man of the hour, brought home an incredible third-round TKO victory. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Mr. Kobe Covington, the man himself. Congratulations, by the way, brother. Thanks, guys. I appreciate that. Hey, Colby, Don McGuire, bro. You know, as you probably heard me stating that 
it, it was a hard fight for me to watch. You know the scenario around it. We're we're not going to dig too deep into that. And I I was impressed, son. The the ability that you showed at UFC 202 was profound. What did that night mean to Colby Covington, knowing that there were those naysayers out there, there were them people that were looking for Max Griffin to demolish you. How did that night feel when your arm got raised after that, that knockout in the round three, son? Uh, it was just another step in the journey. You know, it wasn't like a big deal, you know. Like for me, you know, it's like I expect to win. I expect to beat that guy. So like I'm, I'm not going to make like too big of a deal of it. But, you know, there was a lot of naysayers, you know, a lot of guys from Sacramento. They were talking a lot of shit to me on my Twitter and just saying I'm going to get knocked out and the pain train's coming for you and this and that. So that kind of got annoying after a while. But, you know, it's just it's just another step in the journey. You know, I want bigger fights, and I'm coming for that top spot. Now, you know, Colby, you, you've proven to be the person that always takes the higher ground. And you've always proven to me and, and many of people that you're, you're a deserving fighter. Now, some some atrocities occurred at weigh-ins. I don't, I don't know if you care to touch on that because you're not that type of individual. But it was brought to me that you were very, very disrespected. Would you say that that put a bigger chip on your shoulder going into the octagon that night? Uh, yeah, definitely. You know, it, it was actually enjoyable to fight him. You know, I, I really, truly wanted to make a big statement against him, and that's probably because my emotions were going. You know, he was... He was getting me fired up, saying he was going to knock me out, calling me a pussy, this and that, you know. So, you know, it definitely gives you that little chip on your shoulder, and you want to make a big statement. Very cool. And what I appreciate so much and admired about your performance is you could have coasted, and you could have gotten the judge's decision. In my personal opinion, you were winning that fight. By the second round, it was pretty much wrapped up like a Christmas present. I mean, he was cut open. You know, you were dominating with the wrestling, which your 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 style – you, every single aspect of the game, you've mastered in one way or another. You went right for the wrestling, and you continue to lay it on them. And then this round, you put on the burners, and you finished the fight by TKO. And I know you're, you're humble when you said this is not a big deal, but the people, folks like me that were watching, that was a heartfelt performance, and that was making a mission statement. Uh, how long did you train getting ready for this fight, and what was your preparations in preparing for such a dangerous opponent that you're able to be so dominant in the second and third round? Uh, you know, I'm just continually improving every time out. You know, I'm at a great gym, American top team. So, you know, I wanted to make a statement and beat this guy everywhere. You know, even on the feet, I caught him with a nice left hand and a nice hook. And I remember his, even his coaches came back to me in the green room and said he didn't know where he was at after the first round. So, I just want to make a statement, show that I'm well-rounded, beat, beat him everywhere, you know. But obviously, I'm going to stick to my base, and that's wrestling. I'm always going to think about that in a fight. But, you know, I feel like I beat him everywhere, and that was that was the point. We wanted to really make an emphasis on, you know, beating him up on the feet, beating him up on the ground, wherever it takes, but really beating him up in all areas. Absolutely. And we were, we were all watching the fight, and I'm like, oh, that's the guy I was talking to on the last episode. And when you won, we were all cheering, all happy about it. Then I saw a post. That you pulled up, that you want to fight. Yeah, we were cheering for you, brother. You have some big fans in New Jersey, but um, we, you were, uh, you posted that you want to fight at UFC Portland and how much it meant to you. I immediately started sharing, resharing, etc. Um, who would you want to fight on that card in front of your hometown? It's obviously a very, very big de- deal to you. It means a lot to you. 
the fight in your home. I heard rumbling of, of Mike rumbling a bunch of different names. But who would be your ideal opponent to fight a huge stage for you? Um, you know, uh, Mike Perry was calling me out and trying to talk some smack, you know, as post-fight interview. But, uh, you know, I'd rather have a bigger name, you know. If he wants it, he can get it. I'll give it to him. But, you know, I want a bigger name. I'd like to get someone like Dung Hung Kim. You know, I talked about getting him earlier, you know. Or a bigger name, someone ranked, Gunnar Nelson, whatever. Any, anyone that's going to get me highest up on that card so I can show what I'm truly capable. And in front of my home territory, no one's going to take away my dreams in front of my home territory, territory at UFC Portland. I can guarantee you that. You know, Colby, it's 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 kind of good that David touched on that, and, and you kind of dug on that. But I, I'm going to take it a little bit deeper. You know, you, you've got the adamant fan base that, like David and myself, that are pushing this. But what would it truly mean to Colby Covington to fight on UFC in Oregon? Uh, you know, I think it would be a dream come true. I don't have any big dreams that I've fulfilled yet, you know, because – you know, my, you know, I don't have a belt or anything, so that would just be one of my dreams. That's one of my dreams, you know, so to do something like that, and it would just have, would have so much significant meaning to me, and it would really probably be a special spot in my heart for the rest of my life. So, you know, I'm just crossing my fingers. You know, the UFC told me, you know, they're probably going to do it, but, you know, until we get something in writing and we got an opponent that wants to step up in five weeks, then, you know, I won't know. So, so I'm just, it would be a dream come true. Most definitely, and and for those fans that are listening, and Colby Covington fans, I did a post which you can find on Colby's page and and on my page, and uh, Dana White is tagged in it. So go and express your your thoughts and and how much you would like to see Colby Covington fight on that card, as he's truly deserving. You know, Colby, we look at your career as a whole, and I see a, a young man that is is maturing. I see a young man that is coming to understand what is the you know the inner beast inside of him and being able to control that fundamental that that's not a great word to use let me let me re, let me rechange my thought looking at all the tools at your disposal that you've learned and you are building on what has transpired Colby Covington to step up to this level and show the veracity of the true warrior that you really are? Uh, you know, it's just, it's a, it's an everyday thing. You know, I want to be better every single day, not just as an athlete, but as a person. So I'm always pushing myself every day to get better somewhere, you know? I mean, I feel like my grappling is ahead and above everybody in the division. I don't think no one's going to take me down. That's just, that's not going to happen. That's impossible, you know, but, but, I, you know, I want to work on my striking. I want to get better in the stand-up area. So I'm working every day at that, you know, and I'm just – and not only that, you know, I want to be better every single day. So that's just – as long as I got 1% better every day, then I'm happy with myself. Very cool. And, uh, Kobe, I do have a question. Outside of uh, the realm of the fight and what you did in the octagon, but in the business aspect, because, you know, it's, it's all about money too. You know, you have to get paid for your talents, and you're a very talented guy and you deserve everything that's coming to you. Uh, this is the first event that was under control of different owners. Did you see any difference in the way the, the structure of the business was on the in the locker room and the back end? Did you see any changes from the Fertitas to new management, or what was it like under new man- man- management for this uh, this this event? 
Um, you know, it was the same thing. It was I, they're going through the transitioning period, so I, I don't know. I didn't I didn't see any difference. It, it looked you know exactly the same to me. Very cool. And did you see any uh, benefits? Because obviously you re- you reached so many more eyes with with of course the main event that was McGregor Diaz. And I, I know you're very, very humble about this fight and said it's not a big thing because I want to fight the big names. I want to get the big money fight. But do you feel yeah. any sort of – is there any takeaway besides more eyes on you and more eyes at the event and the show because of Conor McGregor and Diaz? Or is there any sort of takeaway you can take away from this one event that you're using your arsenal going forward? Yeah, I mean, it's just, uh, you know, every time you step back out there, you gain a little bit more experience. So, you know, there's some things that, you know, I saw in the fight and that, that I was able to quickly judge and critique myself afterwards that I've already, I'm already working on those things. So, you know, I, you know, I'm just working to be better every single day. Cool. Hey, Don? Yes, sir. Oh, I, I thought you still had one more. My apologies. Uh, you know, Colby... I've, like I stated, I've interviewed you before, so I kind of know a little bit about you. And I think the family backing that you have is profound. I think the fan support that you have is profound. Uh, what does that mean to not just somebody of your magnitude, but just in life in general to have so much support in Colby Covington? It's awesome, man. That's you know, it's humbling. You know, it's it's a dream come true, and it's just you know something where that that gives me extra motivation every day. You know, it makes me want to work harder for those people. You know that have that have shared this part of my journey with me. So you know, it's all our journey, and I feel like that's how my family takes it, and friends, and people that support and believe in me. You know, it's kind of all our journey together. Are, are you there, Colby? Yeah. Did you? Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, I got you. Um, I just heard the last end of that. You know, there was some breaking up there, but we're good. You yeah, know, I think you guys are cutting out a little bit. Yeah, I think Dave, Dave's having some issues over there in Jersey. Uh, yeah. You know, Colby, you you take everything that you've learned to date, and you look at everything that you've accomplished in the cage. Where would you say you've learned? the most would you say that you've more learned more about integrity and heart and humility being who you are in the sport today son um you know that's a tough question to to answer you know i feel like you know i just try and just be better every day that's all i'm working on being a better person being uh you know more in touch with myself and you know i'm just trying to Always trying to reach new heights and conquer every fear. Very cool. And, um, yes, yes. And uh, I hope you guys hear me okay. Some bad weather we're having in Jersey. I apologize about that. Uh, You guys hear me good? Yeah, now we can. Yeah, you're good now. Okay, cool, brother. Um, So, UFC Portland. And, of course, you know, it's going to be a big card for you. It's it's a card that means a lot to you. Is it going to be... And you were you said that there was a wide variety of different fighters that you would want to fight, and maybe uh, the uh, stun gun you would let, want to fight a big name. Of course, you want to be on the main card. That's a most definite. But is there one particular person that you see the money in, the, the big money 
in that one fighter? Is there one fight that you can name off the top of your head that would be a most definite or something you would pitch to UFC brass? Um, you know, I don't think I'm in a position to pitch. You know, I haven't earned that yet. I got to win bigger fights to get something like that. So whatever they want to do, you know, I'm down for, you know, I don't, I don't, I don't say no to any fight, you know, and, and in my home country, I mean, my home state, I'll fight anybody, man. I'm not, I got in a sport to be the best. I ain't going to duck nobody. Anybody that wants to come and get it, they can get it. If that Chris Perry wants to get it, he's been talking shit, he can get it too. So uh, whoever, you know, whoever makes the most sense to the UFC and, you know, all the fans are talking about, like on Twitter, everybody's laughing at the fact that Mike Perry's trying to call me out. I've had multiple, multiple t- tweets about that. So they want me to do that. It's whatever. When I fight in my, if I fight in my home state, no one's going to stop me there. So. You know, I'm going to sell a lot of tickets, so if they don't have me on the main card, that doesn't make a lot of sense. You know, I'll probably sell 5,000 tickets, you know, so, so maybe 10,000. Who knows? There's a lot, I got a lot, of, a lot of support in Oregon, so, you know, that's my home territory, and I want to defend it. Gotcha. Absolutely. And one, one takeaway, uh, of course, with the aspect is getting a fight. Sometimes, you know, bad blood and sometimes some, some feud and rivalry needs to be behind the fight, some – uh, yep. extra storyline in order to sell a fight. Do you think the, the fight, too, you, you would be open to a Mike Perry fight? Or would you, would you think at, at this point, because he's now calling you out, wouldn't that make the most business oh. sense for you to step in the cage with him and bring him to Portland, Oregon, and uh, really put on a show? Uh, definitely. If that's what, you know, he, he's got a lot of hype. He was on the pay-per-view, you know, he got a knockout. So he's thinking he's like King Dingling, but he ain't calling the shots. That was his first fight in the UFC. He hasn't fought nobody. Like, like the guy thinks he's, like, calling out Robbie Lawler and Roy McDonald and all these guys. Are you fucking joking me, dude? You had one fight in the UFC. Anybody can get a lucky punch in the UFC, land a lucky shot, get the one shot that night. Whatever, dude. You're still a little kid, dude. Like, I'll treat him like a kid if he comes to Oregon. <laughs> oh, so eloquently put, Colby. So eloquently put. You know, that's that's one thing, I, like I said, I've learned – to really enjoy about you and relish in, in your career is the fact that you're you're a put up or shut up guy. You you're not going to talk any smack. You're, you're not going to go on this whatever to to get people to watch you fight. What you do you, you do once that cage door locks. Now, if there was one pertinent thought or something that you truly learned from UFC 202, what would that have been, Colby? Uh, you know, just managing emotions, handling the, the the fight week, you know, and just the fans and everybody that, you know, wants to be a part of the ride, you know, and bugging you or whatnot, whatever, you know, just, it's just experience, you know, it's just, it, it helps you moving forward and, and you get a little bit more mature and, uh, you know, you're, you're, you're growing each and every time out. So, you know, I just feel like I'm continually growing in my career. You know, I, I look at the Colby Covington that I spoke to last time, and I listen to the Colby Covington that I'm talking to today, and I, I hear a young man that is, like I stated earlier, that is, is coming into focus. Who, at your training camp or at your gym, ha, have you clung to and has been a major pivotal role and this building of, of the beast we know as Colby Covington. Um, I think there's a, a lot of people that deserve credit for that, but, you know, as of late, you know, 
Mike Thomas Brown, former WEC world champion, has really taken me in and just, you know, I've just learned so much from him. Just, just, I mean, he has so much knowledge in the sport and I'm just soaking it up and listening to everything he says and he's showing me and I just, I'm just continually evolving, you know, I'm taking, taking some of his knowledge, knowledge from other coaches and just, it's helped me out a lot, but if there's someone that's at the forefront, you know, Mike Thomas Brown, he, he, him and Paulino Hernandez are, are my men. Very cool. And um, so, Kobe, uh, one question, because we – well, two more questions, and we'll let you uh, – we'll give, give it over to Don, and Don will ask two more questions. We'll get you right back to your busy day. But uh, one question I want to cool. ask, because you bring up Oregon and your importance, the importance of fighting in Oregon. And so many great fighters have come out of that state. I mean, you look at Randy Couture, who trained at Team Quest, Dan Henderson. Uh, I believe Matt Linden did it. Um, you, you mentioned so many heroes of this game. Is there anybody you can name that was inspirational in your career now and where you are in the UFC at this point? You know, I mean, that's a tough question, you know. Hmm. Someone, you're talking about someone from Team Quest that's helped me out? Well, actually, uh, like an inspiration, like fighters, it could be no one from Oregon, but it, oh, any yeah. fighters that actually yeah. you replicated or you said, I want to be that guy, like past or present, any UFC superstar. And I named, of course, a lot of people from Portland, Oregon, like yeah. Randy Couture or people that actually trained out of Oregon. But is there any fighter that actually inspired you and you looked at that guy and said, that's the career I want to follow by? Um, You know, I think just there's a lot of guys that have, that could take that I could give credit to for that, you know. I just, you know, being around people, all these people that I've trained with, because I've trained with those guys. You know, I've trained with Chael Sonnen, so I don't really like consider him a hero. But like, you know, seeing these guys, Chael Sonnen, John Jones, the guys I've been around and and my life's been around, I know that I'm capable of that. You know, these people have made it to the highest part of the sport, the pinnacle of the sport. So, you know, I, I don't really take too much into like heroes, but you know, I think that there's been some a lot of great people you know, greatness around me, and it just, it gives me more, it, it helps, you know, it gives me a sense of fire that I could do it too. Very cool. Most definitely, most definitely, Colby. You know, Colby, I've asked world champions this question, and I think after watching you fight at UFC 202, I think you, you've earned the right, you know, for me to ask you this question. You know, the gloves are off, the fans are gone, Colby Covington is sitting on the edge of his bed. You look in the mirror. What does Colby Covington see? I see an ambitious man who's chasing his dreams and not afraid of anything. You know, very eloquently said. You know, when when you speak of family and, and what they mean to Colby Covington, it's quite obvious that they play a pertinent role and in you and in the destination and in backing of you. You know, I look for great things from you in the future, Colby. If there was a statement that you wanted to make to any of the naysayers or anybody just in life in general after your perform you know, your performance at UFC two oh two, what would that statement be, Colby? Keep watching, I got so much more to show. I, I love it, really. I, I truly love that. Now, I'm going to ask you one more before we go to your sponsors because I think you'll give a great answer. If you had to look 
at the youth of America that were that were wanting to get into the sport and follow in the footsteps of Colby Covington. What would those words be, Colby? I'll just be. I would just tell them, you know, you, you, it's it's not going to come easy, you know, but you know, every everything is earned, you know, nothing's given to you. You have to work for it day in and day out, you know. It's not just. You know, you got to dream about it and think about it, but it's not just going to happen, you know, miraculously. You know, you have to do the right things to get there. So I would just tell them to just always not be afraid to work hard and just chase their dreams. And and just because people tell you you can't do something, that doesn't mean that's the end result. You know, a lot of people have told me that I wouldn't wrestle in college, I wouldn't do this, you know, but I didn't listen to them. I just kept working hard day in and day out through the high school wrestling room, through the MAP club. and I, and I keep telling myself that, you know, I was going to get better and, and, I, and I wasn't going to let those people drown in my thoughts. You know, you have your own thoughts. So you got to be a believer and then you're going to be able to be an achiever. So I would just tell them, you know, just to not be scared to, to, to follow that path. Most definitely. And thank you for those words of wisdom. You know, on, on behalf of David Potter and myself, we, we truly are honored and humbled that you, you take you've taken the time to come on to the show with us. You know, we know your fight you know, your fight ritual is not trying not to do any media before your fight and I respect that. Yeah. In return you gave me the respect of, of coming on the show with us tonight. You know, so on behalf of us we truly are honored. You know, Colby, you know how it goes. Uh, we're gonna hand the mic to you. Any sponsors, any friends, any social media sites, son, the floor is yours. Uh, I want to say thank you to My Lee Restaurant in uh, St. Louis, Missouri. They're, they've been my top sponsor, and I'm just very thankful for them. Also, Own It, you know, they, they have really good supplements, some good protein, some plant-based stuff, and, you know, I'm just thankful they're able to keep me healthy. I get a multivitamin, you know, so I'm, thank you to Own It. And, you know, American Top Team, that's my gym, and, you know, I wouldn't be continually evolving and growing without them. And also, um, you don't have to give a lot of thanks to my management, Sucker Punch Entertainment. So, I got a great team behind me, and you know the, the, the you know the, the, it's it's unlimited with the sky is the limit with what I can do. Most definitely. Now, where where can our listeners and, and the Colby Covington fans find you on social media, son? Yeah, on Twitter and Instagram at Colby Cov MMA. And then just on Facebook at my my name, Colby Covington, Colby Chaos Covington. Coming for that top spot near you. <laughs> Most <laughs> definitely. You know, we, we truly do appreciate you, son. You know, thank you for taking the time. We we hope that I will okay. still be pushing, as with David, we'll still be pushing to get you on that card. Uh, we truly that, believe man. you deserve it. Dana White, if you're listening, or anybody in the UFC, if you're listening, make this happen. Uh, Colby's quite deserving. Deserves to fight in his hometown. I, th- I think he will uh, be quite pleased with the turnout for this event. But, you know, one thing, you know, Colby, your career is limitless, son. And I congratulate you on, on such a tremendous victory. And thank you for joining us this evening. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. All right. Thanks, boss. You have a good night, son. Have a good night, guys. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Colby Covington coming off of a knockout against Max Griffin in UFC 202. David, truly a really humble kid, you know? Very cool. Yeah, it was, I, I loved his victory. I, I loved the fact that he went out there and he really went to go get it. And um, 
it, it really is cool to, to be able to talk to him and be able to get inside his head and figure out how his brain is working, especially because you're going into a fight. You obviously want to win, and there's so much riding on it. And I, I admire him so much for his performance out there. In a fight, he wasn't favored to win. He went out there. He cut him open early, like second round. And then when he could have coasted, this has got to tell you about what's inside of him as a man and what's inside of him as a fighter. He could have coasted, went right to the judge's decision and got the win, but he didn't. He actually finished the fight, which speaks volumes about him and where he's at in his career. I would love to see him on UFC Portland. I think that's got to be the next step, Don. Oh, yeah. You know, the, the thing about it is... is I've seen one of his family members post about it, so I kind of jumped on the bandwagon, you know, just like you did. And after 202, it was just like, you know, this kid deserves it. This kid, you know, who who doesn't want to fight in their hometown? I mean, give the kid a chance. He's proved it time and time again. And, you know, I think Dana White, this would just be the most wise decision you can make as the sport is highly loved out there. And then you bring a kid that just just beat Max Griffin, another West Coaster, and is proving to be a dominant force in the UFC. Why not give the kid a chance? Absolutely. And he, and I love how nobody's call. he's not calling out anybody. He's saying who he wants to fight. He's not talking crap. Uh, Mike Perry, he, he threw his name in the hat, and that could be a fight that makes the most business sense. Why not put Mike Perry, who is, I think he's in the same same boat as Kobe. He wants a big money fight, and I think Mike Perry knows what he's doing. And I think that's the reason why he ca- pretty much called out Kobe Covington. This would make the most sense, and I brought it up to Kobe because I want to get his thoughts on it. I think it would make the most sense putting Kobe Covington fighting Mike Perry at UFC Portland. What do you think, Don? Oh, yeah. I, honestly, I think that's a, that's a cakewalk fight for Colby. You know, you, you look at Colby's career, and, you know, even Colby stated, you know, anybody can step in a cage and win on any given night. You know, that's that's a fact that is just part of this business. You know, once that cage door locks, you don't know what's going to happen. So to come off of, you know, one great knockout and think you're going to call out everybody in in the world on that, and it kind of reminds me of going back to, you know, I think it was uh, 94 with uh, Conor McGregor when he called out Dos Anjos and and told Cerrone he was a stick in the mud, and yet he couldn't even get past Diaz, you know. And those kind of fighters, they come and go. The ones that truly love this sport, and I'm not saying Perry doesn't truly love this sport. I'm just saying the ones that, prove themselves in the octagon as a true champion, they they know in their heart that they can be beaten at any given moment. They're, they're not going in as a hype train. Colby's not going to come in as a hype train. Colby's going to come in cool, calm, collected, and whatever transpires, transpires. Now, you, you heard the words from Colby, you know, what Max said to him. You know, fighters do that to get into each other's heads. And, you know, I've managed fighters. I've been in that situation, and you know, it, it's kind of crazy. But to not put Colby on UFC Portland against Perry, 
I, I think that would be a good fight. I, I think Colby will come away with a victory. I, I don't see it for Perry being any type of dominating force against Colby Covington. Absolutely. And these are two young guys. And it's it's more or less, it's not really, you know, I don't think Mike Perry is is a dummy. I don't think, he, I think he's a young kid who's coming in the sport. And he's got a great team behind him. We had uh, Alex Nicholson, uh, the Spartan. You know, he, he just came on the show and we talked. And Mike Perry came on for a little bit and talked. And um, so I think Mike Perry knows the, knows the deal. If you talk a little bit, you're bound to generate some interest. And I hate the fact that the fight game is like that. But, you know, Muhammad Ali did it in boxing. And look at how much revenue he drew, drove in. He's a legend, you know. And I think Mike Perry is coming in the sport to make money. He's, he's not a dummy. He's training with good people. And I don't think Kobe Covington is anyone to trifle with either. So do I think maybe he bit off a little bit more than he chew, can chew? No, I, I think it's going to make a good fight, and I think that would be the money fight that I would love to see personally. And these are obviously two young guys who know what the game is all about, and they know what's going to generate interest and generate money. And if they want to create interest, the best way to do it is create a rivalry. And I think Mike Perry and Kobe Covington are young, but they know what they're doing. So I would love to see it. I would love to see that fight, but it will be a, tra- a tragedy if they don't appear on UFC Portland, I absolutely agree with you. It would be an absolute travesty. So, you know, tweet Dana White. Call him. You know, like, call the, U- the UFC offices. Send messenger pigeons. I don't care. Put up smoke screens and smoke signals. T- means of telepathy. But make sure that this guy is on that card because he deserves it. Beyond the fact that it's his hometown, he absolutely deserves it. Yeah, you know, and it's not like he's not coming off a multi-fight win streak, you know, and and he's doing it in dominating fashion, you know. I, I this kid, wow, you know. But I kind of want to touch on a little something that has popped into the sport just recently, and is being covered by a lot of fighters, being backed by a lot of fighters. Even Scott Coker, the the owner of uh, Bellator, put out a post saying that. He is not opposed to this, but I, I want to get your view, David. You know, this is something that us old-timers have felt that truly has needed to be around for a long time, but back in the early days, if if you dare spoke about it, it was almost in sort of a taboo. But, you know, fighters like Couture, uh, Vinicius Cuisero, Corez, I mean, and many others uh, are coming out with the Fighters Union. And bringing back the Muhammad Ali Act, you know, as you touched on Muhammad Ali, it gave me this thought. What are your thoughts on there being a fighter union instilled in the sport today? Okay, so here are my thoughts. And um, you're talking to a guy, too. That And, Don, I know you trained and you fought and you know the game so well because you've been involved with it, like even outside of the ring and inside the ring. And I'm the same way where I was on the Emmys and, you know, I did, like dabbled in pro wrestling and like, you know, I loved it so much that I wanted to be in all aspects of the game. So uh, how I feel about it is uh, let's use Kobe Covington, for example, or let's use uh, Daniel Cormier. Let's use uh, Rose Namajunas, who I spoke with and who I think highly of, Angela Hill, uh, some of your favorite fighters that you brought on the show that respect and admire you. 
just like you love them. What I think is, if I ever spoke to somebody that I greatly admire, and I picked apart their brain, and I realized what's in their heart, and then you look deeper into it, and you see a family man, and you see or family woman, and you see that they have parents who love them, they have kids to go home to, they have loved ones, to imagine something happens. Because, of course, MMA is a very, very safe sport. There's no – very few and far in between is there a significant serious injury or death in mixed martial arts. But if I could think of somebody who I talk to and I admire getting hurt to the fact that they couldn't hold their kids or getting hurt to the fact that their loved one, it, it, it hurts their families, it hurts their spouses, it hurts their wives, husbands, etc. And I, if I think of them being in pain for the rest of their life, just pursuing a dream that they had since they were kids and pursuing their passion, if I ever thought of that they would suffer for their dream for the rest of their life, I don't know what I, how I would feel about that, and it would deeply, deeply stab me in the gut and would hurt my heart in so many ways. And I'm getting choked up talking about this, but it would definitely affect me in the most profound way if they weren't protected in case of a serious injury and their families had to suffer for that, say, for that one thing. I think for the, this sport to be union, uh, you, you, under a union and to think that they'll be safe for the rest of their lives – and also they'll be knowing that even though they step into the octagon, whatever happens, whether they win, lose, or learn, that when they step out and they're protected no matter what, I, it, it really is something of importance to me that this happens. And just going on record, too, it helps the fight promoters, too. Because then you have guys, you have all these fighters who sometimes like to play it safe. They want to lay on the line more knowing that they'll have something left for them. The sport will have something left for them, and the sport will take care of them just like they're taking care of their fans and taking care of the promotion itself and the promoters too. Because these fighters are not just fighting for their passion, but they're putting money in promoters' pockets. They're putting entertainment value in the fans' eyes, in the fans' brains. They're inspiring young kids to man up or woman up and pursue their own dreams too. They're doing and they're giving so much to the sport, and not just that, but so much to people. They need to be protected. Bottom line, it has to happen. Oh, I agree with you. You know, and you, you touched on something that really tugged at my heart. You know, it's you've got these fighters out there that don't forget where they came from, and they give back, and they change other people's lives. So it would be, man, it would be a dream for this old man, to to actually see something perceived. You know, you, you kind of touched on, you know, that they would they would be more inept to to throw down harder. You know, I I, I can see that. You know, I, I think it would be in the in the best vested interest of a promotion. And, and I, I take my hat off to Scott Coker and Bellator. First and foremost, they, they've never taken away a sponsor. Now they want to, you know, imply the the Muhammad Ali Act and Fighters Union, and they want to do things that really relish them as a as a promotion in, in my heart because they care for the fighter. You know, you look at it in a different perspective. Let's say it's a job. Okay, yeah, these guys are only getting paid by the job, but if you and I go to work and we get hurt, 
no matter what, we're covered under our employer's insurance, whether they offer us insurance or not. So I think some standardized medical needs to be in place. And like you said, you know, I look back at two pertinent fights, one being Anderson Silva when he, he shattered his leg. I thought his career was over. It was heartbreaking. You know, how is he going to feed his family in Brazil and and carry on his name? And the other was the cyborg fight with a, with a skull injury. Yeah. You know, you look at the bills. You look at the things that, that transpired from that. If the fighter had medical and had backing and that such and didn't have to worry about it, I think the sport would only grow and grow and grow for for the promotions, for the fans, and for people like me and you because I think more people would be uh, wanting to get in as they know that they, no matter what, if they tra- you know chase their dream into the octagon, that they know they're going to be covered, you know, as an amateur or a pro fighter. Yeah, they're they're not independent contractors, Don. They're 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 fighters. They they deserve to be covered just like NFL players. And if you're gonna proudly wear put Reebok on their backs, you might as well protect their backs too. You might as well have their backs. And the best way to do it and tell a fighter that you have their back is saying, We're gonna protect you for the rest of your life. We're gonna protect you in case of serious injury and you we care about you and we care about your family, then you're gonna be absolutely protected. And I, I, I want to touch upon this too. And I, what, what really brought me to the subject of where, what happens if a fighter gets hurt or injured is uh, Chuck Liddell. And I remember watching a documentary with Chuck Liddell when he fought with, during his rivalry with Tito Ortiz, and they had a documentary. And they had subtitles underneath Chuck Liddell speaking because Chuck Liddell was slurring his words, he wasn't enunciating. And he's an intelligent guy, too. He has a college degree from, a, from, I think, Cal State or something. But I was watching the documentary, and I was saying, does, is he showing the, the, the signs of, uh, of you know, brain damage? Is he showing the signs of you – know, he's been through some wars. And what happens if, if there's a fighter who doesn't make it to the U.S. level and they're a journeyman, and they go from promotion to promotion, living paycheck to paycheck, fight purse from fight purse, and what happens if – they start slurring their words, and they realize that their 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 chin is gone, and they realize that they're thinking. To, to, to you have to be a thinker, and you have to be a very intelligent human being to go in that octagon and strategize, and pick out what your next move is going to be in a short amount of time. You need that brain power. You need your brain working. But what happens if your brain just shuts off, and there's nothing left for them? They can't get a job. They can't work somewhere else. It deeply affects them and deeply affects their family. And I feel that is the next step. If you want the sport to be evolved, it's not getting a Reebok sponsorship, which I love Reebok. I think Reebok is a tremendous brand. But I think a more prudent step and a better step would getting a union that protects the fighters that means so much to both you and I, Don. Most definitely. You know, I think it's something that, you know, we might next week bring one of the the main people behind the fighters union uh, we might just bring them to you next week so you kind of want to stay tuned and listen in but just in a minute here we're going to bring on probably one of the most profound people in the sport of mixed martial arts and a whole to me uh, only person I can compare with him would be Burt Watson 
um, truly a man that you look at and he just exudes and, and resonates his sport. And this will be my second time speaking with this this gentleman. Uh, David, what is it going to be like for you to have the legend Stitch Duran on the show? What, what it means to me is we just talked about the fact that I love – I love fighters getting taken care of. I love fighters knowing that they can walk away and have a smile on their face and talk about the fight, and they talk with, with pride whether they win or lose because they're always taken care of. Jacob Duran, Stitch, as a lot of the fans would know him, he literally dedicated himself to taking care of fighters. And I've watched him on television forever doing just that, taking care of the fighters. And he's done that in... All, so many promotions. He's UFC. He made a name for himself. When do you ever hear about a cup man that is just as famous as the fighters? I mean, everybody loves Jacob and thinks the world of Jacob. And anywhere he goes, he brings followers with him. He has a huge, huge fan base because the sport is real. The community and the fans, they're as real as they come. Psycho Gear and all of our sponsors we named so amply at the, end, at the beginning of the show, they are involved with the sport because they love the sport and they want to take care of the fighters. They are real people, and that's why people buy their product. People buy from me because they realize that I'm a real guy that loves the sport more than I love money. Jacob dedicated his entire existence to making sure the athletes and everyone involved are taken care of. And his selflessness... And him not being in the spotlight and being just the guy to make sure that the fighters can continue to fight, just him being him was enough to gather up the entire MMA community to always stand behind him. He's a remarkable man, and I can't wait to talk to him. You know, when it's funny because I, I've worked with Stitch. I've seen Stitch, and we've talked at shows. And, you know, then I, I finally get him on a radio show. And I use the old, the OG, let's say the OG, journalistic style. As as everybody knows, I'm a little laid back in the way I I communicate with people. But I saw a side of Jacob Duran that was wow. But even in the transformation from Jacob Duran to Jacob Stitch Duran, it didn't change the man. And Absolutely. that is what I find so remarkable, that you could be an icon, you could be a legend, but to still have the heart that you did when you were 12, 13, 14, 15 years old and maintain that heart through of all of your triumphs and atrocities like, like you know, Jacob Duran has, it just made me admire him that much more it made me realize that I wasn't just talking to a man, but I was talking to a legend. Absolutely. And if you don't mind, Don, we're going to call him right now, and let's get him on the show, shall we? Let's, let's do it, bro. Very cool. cool. What's up, my brother? 
What's up, sir? What's up? How you doing this evening? Man, I'm doing all right, man. I've been scribbling. I'm uh, I'm writing my second book, man. So I'm right now on my my journey to Afghanistan, which is kind of awesome. So that's uh, what I've been doing all day, man. Just kind of plugging away. How you doing? Oh, we're doing fantastic. Joining me tonight is uh, David Potter, uh, another mutual host of mine. You know, you, you kind of touched on something that truly, you know, is what I want to find out about Jacob Duran. Would you Would you care to dwell? I know you can't let out too many secrets as it is a book coming out in the future, but can you t- kind of touch on some of the stories that that brought Jacob Duran to writing such a book? Yeah, there's, you know, well, you know, there's a, a lot of stories, man. Uh, but, you know, I had my first book, From the Fields to the Garden, The Life of Jack, Jacob Stitch Duran, that was uh, written by Zach Robinson. And uh, it became a top seller, man, on sports biographies and, and Amazon. And uh, everybody liked it. You know, they, a lot of the comments were that it felt like I was, literally talking to them like we're doing now and telling them the stories and you know that's that that that's how Zach was that good of an author that he could put my words into into a system where the fans the readers uh, would make it sound like I'm talking to them right but the stories behind those were fascinating the first book started off with my life as a farm worker and you know how I grew up and went through the ranks of joining the military and having my own school of kickboxing and working with boxers and then joining the UFC and, and so on and so on, right? So that was the first book, and I think I ended up at UFC 104, and that was, I think, the fights in Los Angeles. Uh, so that's how the book ended. And uh, so many people liked it, Don, that they kept asking, you know, what am I going to do the second book? And, you know, the whole story, and this book is so good, it should be a movie. And, you know, and I just, you know, I just grinned and, and was happy to hear those comments. And uh, I guess about two, three months ago, I'm talking to Zach. And keep in mind, Zach, the author, lives in Germany. So, you know, we communicate often and and uh, and uh, we kind of talked and said, well, you know what, man, it might be time to write the second book that everybody, everybody's been talking about. And uh, so we decided to do that. And uh, here we are now. We're in about chapter 14 or 15 right now and and we've been working on it diligently i mean show you how good we work together uh we've literally been typing i think two or three weeks and we've already had you know all these chapters are already done but it's gonna be a fascinating book man there's a lot of uh stories you know that where i left off from 104 up to this point and obviously the release from the ufc and people are going to want to know what what happened there and you know, that's going to be in the book and uh, my trip to Afghanistan to visit the troops up there and, you know, spend 11 days and <clears throat> literally in the trenches and flying in Blackhawks and having bodyguards 24-7. That's in the book and uh, just a bunch of other stuff, man. So I'm, I'm excited and, and I'm glad to be writing it. As, uh, we're going to be very, very honored to read it. You know, now taking a little bit from your first interview, you know, I'm gonna, I'm gonna call you. I I don't know what to call you, bro, because you kind of dumbfounded me after the last show. You know, you you, you kind of made me realize who you truly are in this sport. And and you know, working with you through the years, meeting with you, talking with you, uh, sharing times like we did at Invicta 18, they truly meant a lot to me. 
how does Jacob Duran stay Jacob Duran? You know, we 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 talked yeah. about this on the last show, but you truly have not let anything change who you are, whether you were in the sport or not. How how do you stay so grounded, Holmes? <laughs> you know, just like you, Don. Shit, we're we're not fake people. We're real people. We're honest people. We're we're hardworking people, and you know, I'm I'm the same guy that that I was when I was growing up. And you know, years back, one of my friends used to uh, drive uh, for a beer company, and and his truck flipped, and he got killed. And you know, I went to the funeral, and at that point, you know, I uh, people were recognizing me. I was on TV, and I think I was doing the early movies. And I went to the funeral, and all my buddies, because I grew up in a small town, right? Uh, all my buddies, you know, were a little apprehensive about me. And, you know, after the funeral, we go and we hang out at my friend Chulo's house, and you know, we crack open some beers and start just talking. And they realize that I'm the same guy that I was when I left, you know. And uh, but, you know, people ask me that, and I said, yeah, I kind of like myself when I was young, and there's no re- reason for me to change. And you know, two things I just don't like in 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 people or. I don't like assholes, and I don't like kiss asses, and I don't think I've been either one of them. Very cool. And uh, Mr. Duran, by the way, huge fan. Watch you, of course, in the UFC, and, uh, you know, you've done so much for the sport. And what I appreciate, and what I was talking to Don, is the MMA community, they're no nonsense. They can tell if you're a real person or not. And I think how you developed such a huge fan base for being the cup man and for being the guy taking care of the fighters is you're a genuine guy who genuinely loves the sport. And besides running a school and doing so many tremendous things within boxing and mixed martial arts, what led you to the point of deciding I want to be involved deeper and taking care of these fighters inside of the ring? Man, that's, you know, that's, that's a real good question, David. And and I guess, you know, I, I guess I could start off by saying when I had my first school of kickboxing, right? Actually, when I started working with fighters, I always, you know, I came in first. I started off as a trainer. Uh, but when I had my own school of kickboxing, I, I was everything. I was trainer. I was manager. I was agent. I was friend. You know, I learned to be a cut man. And and I just, you know, I, I had so much respect for what these guys do, being that I've done that, you know, breaking sweat, uh, hurting all the time. And literally, it's a sport that's it's, it's 12 months out of the year. It's not like football or baseball where it's seasonal, you know. So these guys stay in pain, and, and I learn to respect what these guys go through. But, uh, you know, e- even being a cut man and, and and that first instance when I asked this one guy that was doing a good job as a cut man when I was just learning, I asked him, you know, I, I said that I wanted to be a cut man, and, you know, what did you do? And he basically told me to F off and, and that he was going to take this to his grave and, that I had to learn like him. You know, at that point was a very changing point in my career because I, I told myself I never want to be like this guy. You know, uh, if you know, with the value that I have to education is to make this game safer. And, and, you know, now we say a lot of, you know, the trainers show a fighter how to fight, but nobody shows the trainer how to take care of the, of the fighter. And that's, you know, that's the, that that's the program that I've decided to take forward. And, 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 you know, at the end of the day, when, you know, I hang up my my entwells and my swabs is, you know, that I help make this game a lot safer. Very cool. 
And, of course, you got involved with boxing before anything else. Uh, when you were looking at mixed martial arts from afar, did you see the potential in mixed martial arts, especially early, on, in the early stages? Did, before you got involved with mixed martial arts, the sport, did you see the potential saying that I could one day be involved with this sport or I can associate myself with the sport? Or did it take you a while to see the potential and what it could become and how it is the fastest growing the sport as we see it today? Yeah, that's another good question. And, you know, when the original UFC came out, I watched it like everybody else. But, you know, being a martial artist, uh, the the sport, at that point, wasn't even a sport because the fight game, the only rules were that there were no rules. And, you know, being that my job was to take care of fighters, I, I really kind of lost interest in watching the UFC in the old days because it was just too brutal. You know, you had no no weight categories, you had really no instructions, and, you know, guys could headbutt, they could kick you in the nuts, and, you know, they, all this, and to me, it wasn't a sport, and being a martial artist, that's that's where I came from, so I, I quit watching it, you know, I, I literally quit watching it, and then when uh, when Dana called me for the new UFC and said that they had implemented 33, 34 new rules, whatever the number was, I, I knew that it was going to be going in a different direction, and that uh, me working with them uh, was something that uh, I was willing to challenge. Cool. Now, <clears throat> Jacob, I I kind of I'm interested in your stories. I'm interested in your life. As as you know, one one reason that both you, I, Mike Beltran, and a lot of the the I would say that the dot of the sport have remained is because of transparency because of integrity and humility and, and we've already touched that that has never changed and and you the man now looking at the sport stitch through ups and downs all the obstacles everything what truly has kept Jacob Duran in the sport of mixed martial arts well you know everything that I've been doing you know the uh, the athletes you know, I mean, there's nothing better than, you know, working in the trenches with these guys. And I get just respect for the fighters, uh, you know, the admiration of what the fans have, have given me. And, you know, they, they keep motivating me and they they keep giving me those ganas to continue going. And, uh, you know, the adrenaline that I get working these fights, you know, and, and uh, you know, all that, you know, put it into one is is not a bad life, man. You know, when you get to deal with the best fighters in the world one-on-one uh, -on -one and to the point where, you know, these guys respect you so much that many times they give you hugs and kisses and tell you they love you. And these are gladiators, right? And uh, same thing with the fans. You know, when, when they stop me on the streets, they stop me in the restaurants, the airports, wherever, and then they come up and, and tell me that they appreciate the work that uh, that I do. You know, so all that, but then, you know, even getting into the, into the ring on fight night and getting that adrenaline build up and, and knowing that you're there to make a difference in the game. Um, uh, that's uh, it's not even a job, Don. You know, it's uh, this is what keeps me going, and, and, and shit, I mean, this is something I could do forever. Oh, most definitely. It kind of leads me into my next question. You know, Cardinal, uh, I've been in this game a long time, as you know, and, you know, I, you know as with our first guest, Colby Covington, he fought, another son that I look at as a son and Max Griffin. And it was, you know, I didn't make a pick on the fight as, as I don't when they're that close to me. 
what does Jacob Duran do when he has, you know, fighters that, that look up to him that you deal with on a daily basis, as you stated, that, you know, even give you hugs and, you know, and, and, and tell you they care about you and appreciate you. How did, How is it for you when two of your, let's say, sons step in the cage together and you're there working a the corner? Yeah, it happens all the time, Don. You know, oh, know. and uh, there's, there's many times when, you know, I'll be, I'll be wrapping both the fighters' hands. And, uh, you know, and, and I guess Vitor Balfour probably said it best that he says, you know, when Stitch walks into the dressing room, he brings that common effect, knowing, even knowing that he's working on the other side. You know, but it's, you know, these guys know that it's the luck of the draw, man. Whoever, whoever you know, then in the UFC, whoever the UFC put in the red corner would, would be the guy I'd be working with. And uh, so, you know, it, it, they understand. They understand that, you know, and I'm neutral. When it comes to, to the fights, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, who do you think is going to win? And, you know, my answer is I don't know, you know, because, uh, and I really don't care because my job is, Whoever I'm working with is I'm going to give him every opportunity to win a fight. So, uh, you know, under those circumstances like that, yeah, that's, you know, pretty much the way I handle it. Is they understand and I think they respect me for, for what I bring to the table. Very cool. And you worked on some of the biggest names in not only mixed martial arts but also boxing. And you worked in their corner and you took care of them and made sure that they can continue the fight. Uh, pre and post fight, is there any fighter yeah. that you can name off the top of your head where you separate yourself from, you know, this is a job to I really care about this guy and I want to take care of him, or is it the same with every single fighter that you built up such a rapport with that you cared about every single one of them that you want to keep them safe? Yeah, that's the the, the latter point that you brought up, David. That's that's the way I operate. You know, uh, it's. It could be a guy that's doing his first fight in, in the pro career, or it could be Vladimir Klitschko, you know, that's fighting his last fight in his career. I, out of respect to the guys that I work with and the relationship I have is I'm going to treat everybody as a better world champion. You know, let's say you you come and, and you're fighting and this is your first four-rounder. Well, listen, I'm going to wrap your hands like I do a world champion. I'm going to take care of you like I do a world champion and and then leave it up to you to see what the – end result is of the game, but yeah, I, uh, I, you know, that's the thing about, about this job is, is you can't take any shortcuts, you know, or, or you, you shouldn't take any shortcuts because you have to treat every one of these, it's a serious game, it's a hurt business, you know, and as Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, a great lightweight champion says, you know, the ultimate goal of a fighter and Are you still there, sir? Uh, we might have to call him back. Let's let's go ahead and call him back there, David. Okay, not a problem. If you're just joining us, we are with the man himself. We are with Cutman, Jacob Duran. Yo, sorry, we lost each other. Yeah, it's okay, brother. <laughs> so I, I don't know how far we had gotten to this point. Uh, so carry on, guys. Yeah, you were actually you were actually. Oh, I'm so sorry for cutting you off, Don. Uh, you were actually talking about um how it doesn't matter if they're in the amateurs, how they don't. You know, it doesn't matter if they're in the pros. You treat everyone yeah. like a world champion. Yeah, yeah, that's you know that's just the discipline that I have. 
and I think that's a respect factor that any any cup man, any trainer uh, should give forward to to these guys that go out there and bust their butts off, man. And you know, I think as we were hanging up, you know, the great uh, light heavyweight chap of the world, Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, really said it best. He goes, "The ultimate goal of somebody in this sport is to knock somebody unconscious, to knock the other guy unconscious," and, and that's such a true statement. You know, the best victory for a fighter to knock somebody out, which means that somebody on the other side is going to have to take care of that kid uh, that gets knocked out. So, you know, my job as as a cut man and, and as a disciplinarian is to take care of these guys. Very cool. And um, just one more question. Um, and it, this, is, this is one that I noticed, too, is you're actually in two films of the Rocky series. You actually have dabbled in movies. And what was it like knowing that you came to the sport for such selfless reasons? You you came in to help the guys and to treat them all equally with respect and make sure they're safe. You came to the sport for such selfless reasons, selfless. And then it transcended where you built up a fan base to the point that you were actually in these movies. What was the experience like getting invited, casted, and being in these movies? Yeah, it's kind of crazy, huh? And, and you know, the thing about it is I've been in five movies, actually, and, and all these I've never asked for one job. You know, I'm not even an actor. But, you know, the first one that I did was with Woody Harrelson and Antonio Banderas. Uh, it was played to the bone. And then then I did uh, Ocean's Eleven with, uh, with Vladimir Klitschko, actually, when he fought Lennox Lewis. Uh, and then after that, shortly, I became uh, the cut man for Vladimir Klitschko. And then I did Balboa, Rocky Balboa, the last fight that Rocky ever had which was, you know, uh, uh, honor in itself. And then, you know, I did well with Kevin James and Selma Hyatt. Uh, Here Comes the Boom. And then and then the big one that I did, the final one that I did with uh, the movie Creed, where Stallone and I were in the same corner uh, working with the same fighter, uh, which was Apollo Creed's son. So, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a mind-blower, man, just to, you know, to look at this little kid that grew up as a, you know, as a low-income Chicano, as a farm worker, uh, working with... Uh, not only the best athletes in the world in boxing and and uh, MMA and even kickboxing, uh, but also do some movies with some of the top stars in Hollywood. You know that that's truly what I took from that that first interview and with you, Stitch. And and like I stated to the listeners before you came on the show, you know I I've done events with you. I I've talked with you in person and. To bring you on the radio show really showed me a, another side of of Jacob Duran, you know, and and I think you may have inboxed my son and said that you know I was a I was a beast when it comes to being on the radio, but the, the thing of it is is I wanted people to see who I truly admire and who all the people in the sport truly admire, and what I got was a, a truly profound, grounded man. Now. You take your career in a whole. What if one story was to stick out, sir? And that story is the one that you would tell at the park bench, you know, with your homies or with your grandkids. What story would that be, Carmel? Wow, man, that's uh, you know, that's like asking that's like having ten kids and you know you picking the favorite one. You can't do that, right? It, it yeah. just, there's you know, Don, you just. There's so many great moments that have happened in my life and my career that, you know, I, I would have to ask you, you know, to to pick one, and I'll tell you the story behind it. I think that would be, you know, that would be the safest thing to do. But, you know, uh, 
you know, as as everything floats to the top with all the great things that have happened, uh, you know, my trip to Afghanistan was extremely special, uh, only because, you know, I, I work with fighters that go out there and fight their hearts and souls out, but for the most part, they know that they're going to go home, whether they're going to have some kind of injuries or not, what I do not. But then on the flip side, I, I go to Afghanistan and I get to meet and see these other warriors that fight uh, with no guarantees that they'll be coming home, you know, and uh, to be in the trenches with these guys and for these guys to appreciate us being there. You know, we went to places where your normal guys would not go. You know, we literally had bodyguards uh, 24-7 and, you know, we're under general status. So, you know, they were there to protect us, but in the same token, we were there to inspire these guys and, and just to hear the stories uh, that these guys told us about their combat experiences was uh, was quite overwhelming, man. So, you know, that right there is, is, is a trip that uh, literally has changed my life for the military. And, you know, I wear the combat pin on my, on my outfit, my uniform, uh, just to show support for the guys in the military. So, you know, that one is definitely one, one of my top choices. You know, and it's a very eloquent one. You know, I, you, you know, when I interview you, it, it blows my mind because, you know, knowing you, it's just like I, when I get you on the air, it's a chance for me to pick that tremendous brain of yours and, and ascertain knowledge. Is I truly believe in, you know, people like you can can change so many lives. But I, I'm going to ask kind of a different question because. The knowledge that you hold is so vast, and it it just it blows my mind. You know, Jacob, if you had anything to say to the fighters that you've taken care of, to the fighters that you will be taking care of, and the up-and-coming fighters in this sport, what would Jacob Duran say in that statement? Oh, man, that, you know, pretty cut and dry, Don. It, you know, i got a lot of respect for you guys. You know, you guys are modern-day gladiators, and and uh, you guys go out there and, you know, you fight uh, with your heart and soul. And, uh, you know, Kevin Kelly, a uh, quote that he said that to me really kind of falls within that question that you're asking, but he says when, when fighters fight, their souls touch. And, you know, I and, and that's such a true statement because I get to see it. You know, to see these guys that go out there and they bang the shit out of each other and, you know, they're fighting, they're cut, they're getting, they're hurt. And the fight, the bell rings, and then their whole personality changes and they go give themselves hugs and kisses again, you know. You look at Nate uh, Diaz and Conor McGregor over the weekend, you know, uh, you know, throughout the whole preparation for this fight, they were blasting each other. They hated each other, you know. And after they went at it for five grueling rounds, what's the first thing they do is they show respect for each other, so... I think, you know, anything that I would tell these guys is, is I got a lot of respect for you, man. Very cool. And great response, by the way. Uh, Mr. Durant, so huge question for you. And because you've seen so much of the game and you know the ins and outs, you know the biggest fighters in the world, the, the amateurs, everybody, and you're respected and admired by so many, including both of us, is there a moment or an event that you can think that sticks out in, in your mind that you said, this, wow, this is, the, this is the moment that I'll always remember as why I do this and why I love the sports so much. Is there one moment you can pick out 
that it was a good night to do what you do and a good night you said that this is the reason why I want to be in this business. Well, there's there's a lot of moments like that, David. Once again, man, it's you know it's it's tough to pick you know the you know the child that you love the most, right? But but let me go into the the recent ones, and you know these are the ones that kind of stick in 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 the fans' minds, and and that's the the last fight I worked with the UFC or the last night show that I worked, and that was uh, Robbie Lawler when he fought Rory McDonald, the you know, term tremendous, tremendous fight, fight of the year. Uh, they could probably be fight of the decade. And, you know, I went in there and I did what I did. Uh, and, you know, I gave, I helped get Robbie Lawler a victory. Uh, but I also gave those fans additional rounds because that fight could have been stopped anytime, any place uh, by any doctor, you know. But uh, me and Mike Afanis at the other cut, man, we kept this game to the point where the fighters were beating the crap out of each other, but there was no danger element in the injuries that they had because we kept that under control and, and uh, you know, turned out to be a great fight. Robbie won, and uh, the fans uh, appreciated that fight as much as I did. Very cool. And uh, one more question because um, you're, you're right now signed with Bellator MMA, great promotion, Scott Coker. What's been your experience like thus far after signing with them, and what's your relationship been like working with Bellator Mixed Martial Arts? Oh, it's been tremendous, man. And, you know, I mean, I've known Scott for 30 years. You know, when I had my own school of kickboxing in the Bay Area, my fighters would literally fight under Scott's cards, and that was before Scott even had strike force. So the same Scott that that is working right now is the same Scott that I knew 30 years ago. But uh, when the first the UFC first let me go, uh, I had met with Scott, you know, and as I had met with other organizations, right? And, uh, you know, we kind of figured out how we could run this operation. And, you know, and at that point I wasn't, I didn't want to lock down to one organization because I wanted to spread my experience and go to different parts of the world working different events. Uh, and I did that for, for quite a while, you know, and then I met with Scott again and, and he gave me a nice three-year package and, and it's been tremendous, and you know the the support that I get from Scott and his staff. Uh, Bellator, the way they are now, is the way the UFC used to be when they first started. You know, it was still a a family type of operation, and you know, everybody working with each other. Uh, even Spike TV, you know, they they love having me on board. So uh, for me, it's a win-win situation. And you know, as Scott Coker says, you know, I understand that you know you have boxing. So if you have a boxing show. The same day that we have a Bellator show, I don't mind if you take the boxing. You know, if there's a there's a Bellator show and no boxing, give us that date. But there's if there's other shows and we don't have a Bellator show, if you want to take those shows like World Series of Fighting and Invicta, uh, by all means, do that, you know. And then, you know, he let me get my sponsors back. So everything that I had before uh, the Reebok deal, I have now. Most definitely. You know, and it's kind of taking me into the line of questioning that that I, I kind of want to go service. Both you and I are are old people, as per se. <laughs> OGs, that, brother. We're old school, man. <laughs> yeah, we're we're OGs in this business, and and we yep. we go back to days of 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 long and old. You know, the sport has transpired and has changed. Now, I couldn't think. I've asked world you know world champions this question, so. 
and they've given given me quite eloquent answers. So I'm going to ask somebody that I look at as a, as a legend that looks at this whole sport. You know, being that I'm from old school, I, I'm not one into the theatrics that the UFC is portraying in the sport today. I'm not one for the WWE aspect that is being portrayed. And, you know, we, we all know this as a business. But what are the thoughts and sentiments of Jacob Stitch Durand with the dramatics that are being portrayed in, in a sport that truly doesn't need it? Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that, Don. You know, the like I said, when I started with the UFC, it was it was, and it is a great outfit. You know, they what they've done, you know, to improve the sport to make actually the UFC, you know, the the pillars of mixed martial arts. They've done a tremendous job, you know, uh, but. You know, when when you peel all these skins off of the onion and you get into the trenches of, of the fighters, there's still a lot of fighters that aren't making a lot of money, you know. And uh, and then to, you know, have matchups, and, and I can understand their point, but, you know, to have matchups of, of one guy fighting another because that's going to sell a lot more tickets than having a matchup of, of two guys that have earned that position to go and fight for a world title – because keep in mind, these guys, these fighters fight for two things. They fight, number one, to become a world champion, but number two is also to su- supply or to economically live off the incomes that they have and to be, you know, not to be selected because you're not as big a draw as another guy uh, and you lose that opportunity. You know, it just it's not fair to these guys, but on the same token, on the business aspect, uh, I can understand it, you know, but... You know, I mean, for, you know, Dana, Lorenzo, and Frank, you know, to make $4.2 billion, you know, within a 15, and this is a profit margin, right? And in, 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 a, in a 15-year uh, span, I don't think anybody's ever made that much money in that short a period of time. So, you know, the it was, it's sad that some of that did stay within the industry of, of the industry that they built. Exactly, and you know that—that's my my sentiment. You know, I I portray myself as a traditionalist, and and I believe in, you know, the honor and the humility of of what that octagon represents to the fighters and to the fans, which kind of leads me into my next question. You you spoke so eloquently of Scott Coker and Rich Cho and and Ian Matthews. They're all they're three individuals that I truly truly have a profound amount of respect for. You know, there's been an issue that has been in an uprising, and it's coming from a fighter standpoint. And I would just like to get your thought. You don't have to answer this question, sir. You know, the the, the plight of the fighters' union is being brought out in a vigorous fashion. Uh, many of fighters are jumping. Hey, Don. On this. Yes, sir. Don, don't mean to cut you off. Uh, of course, technical difficulties. Uh, call got dropped, so we're going to call back our good buddy Jacob Duran right. right now. Didn't mean to interrupt you, sir. Right. Time to call back the boss man. <laughs> All right. And there's Stitch Duran with Big Don and David. Go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> You're the hey, man, brother. You're the man. We, we apologize, sir, but I, no, you know, right. I know your time is, is, is quite eloquent with us. Yeah, so on, I'm going to take this question. And what, was the, what was your question, Don? Um... You know, looking like, like I said, I admire Scott Coker, Rich Cho, and Ian Matthews from Bellator, and and I truly admired the fact when Scott Coker, because you brought up sponsorships. You know, Scott Coker said that 
I will never take a sponsorship from a fighter. And I truly fell in love with the man's attitude at that point. You know, and I interviewed Daniel Cormier, and I asked this man, why do you fight for that 205-pound strap? He said, for the daughter that I lost, for the children that I have, and for my family. That's why I fight for the strap. So with that being said, what is Stitch Durant's thought on a fighter's union being implemented into the sport, and what do you think of Scott Coker backing it 100%? No, I I back it up 100%. And, you know, when uh, the UFC first let me go, uh, Nate Quarry had called me and wanted to know if I could go to San Diego and, and, and attend the ABC convention, the Association of Boxing Commissions convention with them as, as a supporter, right? And this was for the Fighters Association. So uh, I jumped on it. I bought my own plane ticket, and I flew to San Diego, and, and I got there, and I was it was Vandalay Silva and Nate Quarry and John Fitch and Brandon Vera and uh, the late Ryan Jimmo and uh, Rob Markey, I think is his name, the attorney. Yes. They were there. So I was there to support them, you know, and, and at that point, you know, uh, all these commissioners, you know, they, uh, <coughs> for the most part, they came and applauded me for, you know, doing what I had done. And there just happened to be three UFC uh, executives at the at the meeting there, and they, they kind of felt a little uncomfortable because I was there, right? So I, I'm, I'm a big supporter of, of the Fighters Association. I think it, it makes sense, um, you know, for the game to be strong. And, you know, like the UFC says, they wanted to be like every other major sport. Well, every other major sport has a, 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 a player's association. So I don't know why you would want to be against it. Uh, Scott Coker, it, it just makes sense. You know, it, uh, it it just makes sense for this game. If you're going to solidify it, you solidify You cover all the little gaps, all that you, you polish up all the kinks in the armor, and you make it as smooth as possible. And I think Scott Coker is a big supporter of that. Very cool. And, um, yeah, we talked about the fighter union before, and we're, we're both big supporters of it because it's all about the safety of the fighters. We want them to something to come home to. NFL has it. Why not mix martial arts? Why not the biggest sport promotion in the world? You know, why not the biggest sport and the fastest rising sport? But I do have a question for you and uh, kind of an offset question. Um, as a fan, and, of course, because you've been involved with the sport so much, of course there's a part of you that loves the sport. It's obvious. Is there any fighters that you can mention that you love watching, or is it just everybody? Or is there a fighter in particular, in past or present, that you absolutely loved watching them compete? No, man. There was, you know, there was so many great athletes and so many great fighters, and there were so many even young guys that would come in that would fight their hearts off. So, no, for me, just watching a good fight is is really what made my whole, what makes everything so fun. So, yeah, there's a lot of great fighters that, you know, I've worked with that, you know, I could say I've worked with them, Krokop and Fedor and Anderson Silva and Vladimir, you know, uh, Vladimir, um, Vandalay Silva and Randy Couture and, you know, all these guys. But to me, I just like to see a good fight, man, a good scrap and, and, and see the heart and soul of these guys. Great words, great words. And so one more thing. You, you really accomplished so much in your career. And you've done so much. You've done it all. And you have a huge following and you're respected, which not a lot of fighters, some fighters, they'll, they'll fight and they'll scratch and claw for respect, but you have the respect of everybody. 
which, you know, everyone admires you. Yeah. That's just the bottom line. But is there anything in your bucket list, yeah. anything that you want to accomplish that's left, that you would love to accomplish and put on your resume that, yeah, I did this? Or is there anything that you want to do going forward in your career? Yeah, well, yeah. Now, in my career, in the MMA world, you know, pretty much I've uh, kind of just about done everything that uh, that I've wanted to do. You know, I just I, I could just do it. More. I would like to do it more on a worldwide scale. I, I would like to do seminars, you know, more frequently. And I get calls all the time about seminars, but a lot of times it's tough to schedule something because of my schedule. Uh, but, you know, if I had the opportunity to just, you know, take a world tour and do seminars, I, I think that would be, uh, you know, that would be a, a nice way to, for me to end my career. You know, I, uh, just to go out there and finish teaching people all over the world and, and what have you not. But let me get back a little bit to this Fighters Association. That One of the things that I forgot to mention, David and Don, and, and you know, you guys asked some good questions. And, I, you know, whenever I run into fighters, they all compliment me for, you know, uh, standing up against the system and speaking, you know, my words of, you know, of truth, you know. And, and oh, man, you know, you got big balls and what have you not. You know, but I, I tell these guys, I said, look, you know, John Fitch and these guys are trying to put a union together or association together, but you guys now have to step forward and sign up to be, you know, one of these uh, uh, association members because, you know, without you guys, it's not going to happen. And I understand, you know, why these guys give me compliments when they're not around the, the white collars of the association, but when they are around them, they they have to be careful because it affects them on a financial business. But, you know, as, growing up as a farm worker, I, I, this is one of the stories in the book, is when Cesar Chavez walked through our little uh, town of Planada uh, when they had the big big demonstrations from Delano to Sacramento, my family and, and the whole town supported the farm workers because we were having unfair treatment. Well, going through that, everybody sticking together, we ended up getting fair treatment, you know, so that's what the fighters have to do is they, they have to man up or women up and, and team up and, and really join the fighters association and have somebody to cover their back. And, you know, and, and I know they have to think of themselves financially at this moment, but, you know, take the risk, man, you know, and, and at least you, you could say you were a pioneer and, and setting up a, a valuable program for fighters of the future. Absolutely. And uh, before I pass off to Don, I just want to make one comment that we made before. Um, I agree with everything you say and everything you stand for, because it's so easy to put a Reebok shirt on somebody's back, but the sport needs to protect their back and have their back. And the best way to do it is a fighters union. So I am all for it. And I, I loved your comments, by the way, off topic, but you, you had some incredible points. So I'm going to pass over to Don. Thank you so much, Jacob. Oh, no, my pleasure. And you know, the thing about it is, you know, like Scott Coker, you know, that's what I like about his thinking is he's very logical. He's very simple, and he's very logical. And, and as Mike Tyson says, you know, boxing is a very simple sport. When you break it down, it really is. And, uh, you know, it's just a matter of doing the right thing for the right people. Yeah, most definitely. And very, very eloquently said, you know, back in the years when Antonio McKee, myself, and, and many others, had resonated and, and spouted off about there being a, a need of some sort 
some sort of program for these fighters that step in the cage and and we we love and we back and the you know you and I that that work with these they they become much more than that they become brothers sisters daughters and sons and they become family to us so when you see somebody injured like I mentioned earlier you see Anderson Silva you know what we presumed was his leg shatter then you go back to cyborg and, and the skull injury and and you look at these people that are willing to to chase their dreams but not only do that to put themselves out there so the the fans of the sport can enjoy it you know it, it's an atrocity when we've tried so many times to to have it shot down and have our lives threatened but we're in a new age we're in a new era and Things are coming out that, that should have came out years ago. And being an old-timer and an OG in this sport, it, it humbles me. Now, looking at your career as a whole, you know, and David asked you this, there's no way you could you could top the career that Jacob Stitch Duran had. All you could do is pass knowledge down from this point further. And, I mean, you, you truly are a profound impact to, to all of us, and even somebody that's been in the sport as long as myself. But take one instance, Jacob, away from sport, away from the fans, and let's say that you didn't exist in this business at all. What means the most to Jacob Duran in life? Well, you know, I... I definitely family, you know, is, is, is extremely important for me. And, you know, everything that I do, um, you know, when it comes to paychecks and all that, it goes straight to the family. And you don't, you know, you don't see me with a whole bunch of bling bling. And, you know, you don't see me. I drive a 1982 Mercedes Benz. It's a nice car, but it's a 1982, right? And yeah. and I drive it for two reasons. Number one, it's nice. Uh, but number two, it keeps me humble. And, uh, but that's something, you know, that I always want to keep is, is to to be humble and 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 to respect people and you know and and one of growing up as a farm worker my parents were always you know they were the same way you know they were always helping people and and uh, you know but they were always leaders within our own little industry you know my father was always a foreman uh, he was the one that would hire the farm workers you know to go pick the tomatoes and peaches and cotton so he had those leader qualities and same thing with my mother you know she there were you know, her and the group of people were uh, the first ones to start it, uh, the Head Start program for the little kids that couldn't go work in the fields. My mom and them would take care of them and then give them education. So, you know, they were leaders, and that, that's something that, that we as a family, brothers and sisters, have, have always had. And uh, But, you know, to, to do that is one thing, but to go and, and leave an impact uh, as, you know, through the work that you've done is another thing. And, and I think, you know, as, as my career ends, then I'll be able to say that, you know, years go on, then people will be able to work off of things that I helped put together. And, uh, you know, I, I think, you know, when I do that, I'll be very happy knowing that, uh, that I made a difference in, in this world, man, not only, you know, in my little town, but it, in the world. And uh, that's that's pretty impactful, brother. And, and you're right. You know, you said I've done – a whole lot of things that have been mind-blowing. And it still blows my mind, Don, you know, that I'm doing these things and it just happens, you know. So uh, I've been very, very fortunate, man, and, you know, I, I wouldn't change anything at all. 
I, I love that. I love that about you. I'm not kind of asking an offbeat question because I, I know from the era that you and I grew up when the food that I so loved was what the butcher threw away. You know, my mother being on my yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, and and I look back and I and I and I relish in those days of old, and and I truly miss where society has gone. But if you look back at at, at Jacob Duran in those younger days like I do, you know, for me, you know, there's nothing like the family coming over on a Sunday afternoon and having, a, you know, cabeza and nepales and chicharrones con chile and just, you know, talking and, and sharing and, and, and living in that moment. Is, is that what means the most to Jacob Duran? And, and what is your favorite food to eat, sir? Uh, Well, you know, food. My favorite food to eat is, is food. You know, <laughs> I just kind of, <laughs> I, I'm just kind of Jack. You know, the only thing I don't like to eat is liver. I'm pretty good at just about anything, but don't give me, don't give me liver. But the chicharrones and the tripas and cabeza, all that, absolutely. You know, but yeah, those moments when we used to get together, you know, that was the old generation. Is everybody would have family dinners, and you know, you would be there as a family and all that, and. You know, unfortunately, a lot of those type of traditions have, have gone to the wayside. Uh, but nonetheless, you know, you still keep that uh, family tradition going as much as you can. And, you know, my son just got back from Guam uh, Monday, and uh, my nephew got married in Guam. They're, you know, his his father was Guamanian, so my sister and, and her kids went up there, and, and, and he said, you know, Pops, everybody, you know, they call they call my aunt, my tia, they call her aunt, uh, aunt auntie. You know, and then they call me Prim for Primo, you know, for cousin. He said, but everybody there is so family-oriented that it's not about blood, it's about loyalty. And I thought that was such a strong phase for my 22-year-old son that I'm glad he got to go to Guam to experience that element of, of a family bond because it means, it means so much to everybody. Very cool. And uh, I'm going to ask two more questions to let you get back to your very busy day. Ah, now, you um, said that about 15 questions ago, brother. <laughs> I, Jacob, uh, you, I've watched you on television for quite some time, and I love it when, when folks I've watched for forever live up to my every expectation of how cool they really are and how down the earth and how much I've learned. I've learned so much more about the sport than I, I already came prior to the show. And uh, we just dropped him, so we're going to call him right back. Sorry about that, Don. Sure. Make me look like an idiot. <laughs> you know, this is, oh, it's funny. Hey, man, I didn't scare you, did I, Mike? <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, uh, Jacob, I learned so much about you, and I learned so much about the sport, and um, I promise two more questions, and we'll let you get back to your night. <laughs> um so again, you you have sons and you you have a great family and you have a great legacy behind you. Is is there any advice or life advice you have passed on to them in their life? Not not beyond the sports and everything like that, but any advice that you have given them uh, going on their path to becoming the men they are destined to be. Is there any sound advice you have given them that you can share with our listeners? Oh, of course, man. It's uh, the same advice my parents gave me. So. You know, it's it's worked for me, and 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 my kids have seen it in action, right? And that's to be respectful towards people, and you know, enjoy life and be adventurous, you know. And 
and uh, go out there and just, you know, make a difference and treat people with a whole lot of respect. And, and you know, there was an instance, uh, I think, Don, I don't know if I was telling you the story, but uh, uh, God, what was his name? He was a quarterback for the Philadelphia. Randall Cunningham was a, a quarterback for the Philadelphia Eagles in, in the 90s, I think. Well, we were at some fights here in Las Vegas, and he was a big star, right? And me and my, my three brothers were talking to him after after a fight that, that we had here in Las Vegas, and, and one of Don King's guys comes up to him and, and interrupts us as we're talking to him, and, and he says, hey, Randall, I need to talk to you. Well, Randall being such a classy man, he looked at him, he says, hold on, let me finish talking to these guys. And we were nobody, right? But we definitely felt like somebody. And, you know, I, I've been using that same example uh, when people come up to me and, you know, people want autographs and they want pictures, and I always treat them the same way that he treated us. And uh, and, and my kids, I think uh, they follow that in suit. You know, they see, you know, how genuine I am uh, with people, and, and they're the same way. Uh, but, you know, and, and like when, when I got older, my, you know, my oldest brother was really – uh, our father, so to speak, you know, because my father was an alcoholic and, you know, he, he was a hard worker, but everybody in that era of farm workers, you know, the men were, they were drinkers, they were big drinkers. So my oldest brother, he said one statement when, when he got me a job with uh, R.J. Reynolds, he says, whatever you do, never embarrass me. And uh, that's something that I've always passed on to my kids and, and that's something that uh, I don't think I've done. So, yeah, that's, uh, but I, I can answer your question that way. Very cool. And anybody that is coming to the sport, anybody that that young guy that just wants to follow his passion, follow his dream of being in the sport that you are so highly loved, is there any advice you can actually pass on to him? Any sound advice when coming into the game, what to expect, what to do, where to turn? Is there in one sentence? Is there anything you can pass on to him or any good knowledge for him? going into the sport of mixed martial arts? Man, I think you answered that yourself, Mike, and I don't think you realize <laughs> it, but when you said, you know, to have passion and to follow your dreams, that's that's, yeah. that's pretty simple. That's, you know, have passion in what you do and follow your dreams because they do come true, right? And uh, so uh, that's, that's, that's a pretty simple one, and you answered it. So, so you get one more question, man, because – that would be <laughs> <counts>. <laughs> All right. When's the next time we can watch you, or when's the next event you're going to be? Um, if you can plug the next event you're going to be working at for Bellator at Mixed Martial Arts, what's going to be the next event we can see you? Uh, Friday in Anaheim. So I'll be there Friday. I got a show Friday in Anaheim, and then uh, Saturday morning I shoot straight to Sacramento, and I got a, a small show in uh, in, a, in a reservation. It's uh, and they're, they're all friends of mine. The chief is a friend. It's at Jackson Renteria. Uh, so I'll be there supporting these guys and working their fights, and then I'll get home on Sunday. So I, uh, I'm i looking forward to both these fights. Very cool. Most definitely. You know, David, I got one more question. You know, I, Stitch, I don't know if you're going to be at Bellator 161 in, in Texas, but it, but if you are, uh, I am. Get, let's get together yep. a little bit early, and uh, I'll take you out, and, man, we'll go have some uh, – some good Mexican food since you love all food. I'm not take you and get you re- reacquainted with some some Mexican food, man, and get you back on the right track. You know, on behalf of David Potter and myself, sir, you know we truly do relish in this time, and we tr- truly do love the time that you give us. 
you know, I look forward to your book coming out. Uh, I look forward to all the stories that you've got to tell. You know, you truly have changed the sport. You truly are an icon in the sport. The only other person that I can look up and say that to would be Burt Watson, you know, and, and that's uh-huh. not a comparison, you know, by any means. Uh, you have changed this sport immensely, but you've remained Jacob Durand, the man that started at day one, and that's something not very many people can say. So with that being said, it's it's truly an honor on behalf of David and myself to to have you on the show and for you to share your knowledge and wisdom with us is I learn every time we talk, every time we meet, and you truly are a testament to what it is to be a a transparent, generous man. Well, thank you, my man. I appreciate it. And yeah, I'll be there. I get uh it fights are September the fifteenth, so I'll be there on Thursday. So we'll get together, man, and and uh, grab a bite to eat. But uh it's always good doing your show, man. Uh good job, David. Don will do thank it you. again anytime I tell you my Phone's always open, man, whenever you guys need. My honor. Thank you so much. Thank you so All much. Right, brother. Adios, Cardinal. Adios, arrivederci. See you later. Adios, Candido. Thank you, sir. Thanks. All right. Ladies and gentlemen, that was Jacob Stitch Duran. You know, I, I brought him to the show so David can get a touch of that knowledge. David, what are your thoughts? Wow, what are my thoughts? I think uh, Jacob Duran represents everything. And I, I mentioned to him, what what moment can you name that represents everything, why you love the sport? That's one of these moments. You know, I've loved the sport since 93, uh, and I, I brought up my history with the sport, and I brought up why I've loved the sport and what it meant to me and why I'm in this business and why I'm talking to a great fellow like Don. And, and that's for moments just like this, a guy who's a genuine guy who – has worked every single show and has worked every single he's he's met the who's who he's been at every single event but he still will come on a show still drop his knowledge still talk about what's in his heart and stand by his morals and his beliefs and uh he represents everything i love about the sport and that, that's a true statement he doesn't like uh he doesn't like ass kissers and I'm, i've never been one for being an ass kisser i'm legitimately a nice person and i feel like i'm a nice person and um, I know nice people, and, you know, he's beyond nice, and he's beyond a legend in the sport, and he proves it once again tonight. Oh, most definitely. And one one thing I kind of – and it's not to toot my own horn. It's just to let these naysayers that, that are out there, you know, you, you hear Stitch so eloquently say, you know, back in the days when we were in the trenches and, you know, times have changed, you know, we're, we're true OGs in this sport, you know – I dedicated my life to the sport just like that man. Am I anywhere the legend that that man is? No. Do I want to be? No. Um, I respect him and Burt Watson for what they've done for the sport and in the sport. And they deserve every accolade they've ever received. You know, us photographers, we're behind the scenes. We, should, You know, like kids in the olden days, you should be seen but not heard from. And that's how we grew up. So when you hear Stitch talk about, you know, Don, you should know this, or, you know, these days, Don, I remember this story. You know, I've had ample opportunities to work with this man, to to speak with this man, but to get him on a radio show and be able to pick his mind like we do is is totally a different atmosphere. So what you're getting from, you know, from Stitch isn't scripted. It 
is straight from the heart. And, you know, it's it's truly mind-boggling to me how much knowledge one man can ascertain. Absolutely. And we only got 20 seconds left. So, uh, Don, always an honor, always a pleasure. Thank you so much for sharing this with me. And thank you so much for sharing your knowledge, too. You know, you, you're an old school guy just like him, and you have so much knowledge to give, and I appreciate every single word that you say. So thank you so much, Don. Oh, you're welcome, man. Two things I want to say is, you know, thank you to the listeners, and thank you to Dream Elite Pro Store, and thank you to Psycho Gear, and all well, three things, and Finished MMA and Beast Fuel. Without you, uh, life wouldn't be the same, especially Johnny and Amanda Combs over there at Psycho Gear. Much love and much respect from my heart to you guys. Very cool. Thank you so much. And on behalf of myself, on behalf of Don, another incredible show. Don, thank you so much for tonight, and we will catch you next week on Tuesday. Thank you so much, Don. Oh, not a problem, brother. Good night and farewell to all. Good night. Farewell. Boys and girls, another edition of uh, Potter and Don Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll catch you next week. Have a good night. Welcome to the Potter and McGuire podcast, brought to you by Psycho Gear, Beast Fuel Energy Drink, finished in MMA and Remade Pro Store. Welcome to the Potter and McGuire podcast, brought to you by Psycho Gear, Beast Fuel Energy Drink. Finished in MA and Remade Pro Store.